Okay. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. And uh, for those of you that kind of got in on the middle of that, you know, Ken and Nancy are missionaries supported by this church and several others, of course. And and uh, they were on an extended trip down to the Caribbean and several different places they're ministering and then finally came back and telling us all about it. And so we heard a testimony one time. We heard an extended report another time. And this time we got to see the pictures. So you're done now. Okay. That's it. <coughs> We're glad to have you here on Resurrection Sunday, that time when we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord and, and uh, what it means to our faith. We will undoubtedly be talking about that just a little bit this morning. I have a, a uh, prayer letter here from David Edens, and of course these are always just tremendous to me, but he speaks about uh, things going on out there in the desert. Things got a little tight, you know, there's a lot of warfare going on in that area. And the, the um, normal means of getting out there through commercial, commercial airlines was shut off to him. And so he, <clears throat> having been there for many, many years now, I think since, um, well, about the middle 70s, 75, 76, 77, somewhere along in there, he went to Africa. So he's been there a long time. He's got a lot of friends in different places and through some... Some uh, means, he was able to get a ride on a plane that does not carry missionaries normally. <laughs> they just don't do that. And, uh, but he, he was through, because he had a good friend, he was able to get a ride out to uh, Agadez from Niamey. Niamey's the capital of Niger Republic. Agadez is the city where he works out in the desert. And he has a fellow missionary working there with him now after all these years being there all by himself. He now has uh, Brenson and Joanna Jennings there with him. So he's really appreciating that. They still are continuing to hand out right and left these uh, MP3 players with the New Testament on it. And they are just constantly getting requests. And there was one place here. Um, well, oh, and then there, it's amazing. I mean, you've seen pictures on, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever picked up one of his prayer letters. You see the pictures out in the desert. I mean, it's just remote. I mean, this little tent, I mean, sticks around there for kind of like a fence. I guess what it is is very, very rugged looking to me. Very remote desert area. But they have MP3 players. And they have computers. And he says here that those um, memory cards, he had the gospel on them that uh, he was passing out. Well, he said he, last night, or last night, last week, he says, I met Abdu in the market. He had just loaned his New Testament to a friend who had copied it onto 10 new cards that he purchased in the market. A report comes from Deep Springs, which is a large principal town in the mountains to the northeast, that one of the New Testament memory cards was copied 100 times and distributed. And we had heard of many there in that area who have shown unusual interest in the gospel. And of course, this is all Muslim area. So the gospel is going out to them. And then, if I can find that other place, da, 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 da. there was a group. He says, pray for a man up north in Long Mountain who came to a friend and begged for a radio set and New Testament on memory card. About five years ago, a group of farmers were bombed as they were as they had lunch together <clears throat> under trees in this village when a helicopter attacked them during the war, which was going on at that time. 
And so t- they said, today we supply one of the audio New Testaments for this man, and his friend will send it to him as soon as possible. And then there was another place in here where he talked about going where there was um, just a, a large group of believers, which was even a surprise to him as to how many that were there. It was just a unique thing. And, you know, we don't, we just don't hear a lot about what's going on. And yet when we do hear things, I'm still constantly, constantly hearing great reports of people coming to Christ in Muslim countries. And it just, it just amazes me what God is doing and how he's working in those areas and what the Holy Spirit is accomplishing through the testimony of the word. And so it just thrills me that we've had such a great part in that and distributing God's word uh, around the world in these various places and having uh, opportunity to participate in these Bible distributions and so on. So anyway, I think that's all I want to share for now today. John chapter 3 is where we're going to go this morning. John chapter 3. So you heard me out there over the speaker, they tell me. I was playing with Cooper. <laughs> when a little fellow like that looks at you and he comes running down the hallway at you, you go say, come on. I just picked him up and we'd had a good time there for a little bit. Then I got the good news. <laughs> you all were in on that. Sorry about that. All right, John chapter 3 to a familiar passage here with uh, the man Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus. And I, want to, I don't know how far we'll get with the time we have today, but, and I plan to maybe continue it on later. We want to talk about some of the things that he encountered when he met the Lord. It says in verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, And of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. When he says we, I think he means he and John the Baptist. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this privilege now to meet together. We thank you for the the visual presentation from Ken and his trip to Haiti and St. Vincent and Trinidad and ultimately then to Guyana and for the opportunities you gave him there and that we might see just what it was that he saw as he made his trip, and and for the people he met. And we pray your blessings upon him. But now, Father, we pray you'll bless us as we listen to your word, as we try to understand exactly what you're teaching us and telling us about yourself, about your son, the Lord Jesus, about the purpose you gave us for being here and what our goal should be and what you intend to accomplish through us. So bless us, we pray, in these things, and we'll give you all the thanks and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 3, then, we find Nicodemus, this one who's called a ruler, who came to Jesus, it says, by night. Now, who was he? What kind of a man was he? I want us to turn back for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 1. So let's go back there. You're not going to find Nicodemus back there, but you're going to find a description about who he is as a Pharisee, as a ruler of the Jews. Deuteronomy chapter 1, and look at verse 13. Notice there, he says, Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And ye answered me and said, The thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. So what was Israel to do? In appointing rulers over them, they were to, number one, they were to choose wise men, understanding men, and known among your tribes. In other words, men who were highly respected, men who were wise in the ways of God and the understanding of his word, so that they might rule over his people. Well... Down through the years, these things passed on, and of course we know there were many other things developed in the life of Israel, but we come to the, the Lord Jesus' day, several hundred years later now, and we encounter people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And typically, these were men, just as you saw described there in Deuteronomy chapter 1. They were more the aged men, the wise men, those who were known among Israel, who garnered the respect of the people. And so here he comes, having seen the miracles that Jesus has performed, knowing the message that John has been preaching concerning the gospel of the kingdom, and to repent and to be baptized, and then what Jesus himself has been preaching. Now he comes to the Lord Jesus, and, he, and, and evidently, <clears throat> I think, as a representative for probably many of the Pharisees, if not all of them, who were questioning and wondering just who is this guy. 
And who gave him the authority to preach like this and to teach these things? And so it says he came to Jesus by night, and he acknowledges to Jesus that nobody can teach the things you're teaching except God be with him. And there were only a few other people in Israel that that could be said of. That was all the prophets that could be said of them. They couldn't teach the things they taught except God be with him. Moses couldn't teach the things he taught except God was with him. And so it is with Nicodemus. He acknowledges that what Jesus was teaching was pretty profound. And there was no way that this, what he had to say could be said apart from God being with him. Well, Jesus, of course, knowing exactly where he's coming from and knowing what he had said, what is the content of his own message that he had been preaching, knowing the, at least we have here recorded in chapter 2, the miracle at Cana and the various signs that are presented in John's gospel regarding Jesus, he tells him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except or unless a man be born again from above. He's telling him a couple things there. Number one, born again, or we might better understand it, born from above. Generated from above. Now, I realize some of these words will be kind of technical words in a certain sense. But to get at the truth of what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it's necessary to do that. And so when he says, for a man to be born, he's talking about generating a person. He's not talking about coming out of the birth canal and being born, literally, in that figurative sense, but more the idea of conception bringing forth, causing something to happen. I just think of something very simple. A generator. What does a generator do? It generates electricity. It causes something to happen. And when God generates something from above, this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. Except a man be born or generated from above, he says, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this whole idea, being born from above, being born anew, being born again, really all have the same kind of concept or the same idea, but understanding that this being born again means something that came out of heaven. It was not of man. Now, just flip back a page or so to John chapter 1 and verse 12. And here we find John says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, the born ones of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we see the necessity and requirement of what's called for there. To receive him is to believe on him. That is, you accept and acknowledge the message. 
And then in verse 13, he says, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So how were they born? Of God. You cannot get the birth that Jesus is talking about by the will of man. In other words, it isn't something you and I do. It is something that we are passive in, that happens to us. God is the one who does it. And I hope for those of you who say, well, I know I'm saved, I hope you know that you experienced this time in your life when you say, I know what God did in me. And that you're not trusting in a prayer. And you can say, well, I know. I remember a day when I prayed the prayer and I received Christ. That's not what he's speaking of here. He's speaking of receiving, believing, and God doing this work in a man's heart. Generating him. And that generation that comes in, he says, had its origins in heaven. It was nothing to do here. Consequently, you know, if you, I've heard people say something like, uh, well, I really want to trust the Lord, but I want to wait until Sunday morning to do it. You know, you, it's not your choice. When you believe the gospel message, then God does the work in us. And we need to know when it happened. I remember clearly as a young boy, I've shared this with you many times, the day that I heard the gospel, the first time that I really understood that God loved me. I don't remember a whole lot about that day, folks. All I remember is riding home in the car after the whole thing was over with, and I remember thinking, you're a changed person, Alan. You're not the same person you were. And then later on when I got home, and I had time to go into the living room where it was, there was nobody else there. And I remember laying there just thinking about what had just taken place that morning and realizing that I had to make some changes in my life. Because of what had happened to me. And I was a really young fellow there. I was only like 12, 13, 14, somewhere along in there. I don't even know. Just, I, I, can, I just remember the experience, basically, of what took place. And all I'm saying is that when God does this work, he does the generating in our hearts. We have nothing to do with it. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. If you want to see the kingdom of God, then this is what's going to have to happen to you. And by the way, I think seeing there, I've wrestled with this a lot. I know there are many who think seeing or, or would say seeing and entering are two different things. In a certain sense, I agree. I do see them as two different things, but on another sense, I say, no, they're one and the same. And if you look over at verse 36 of chapter 3, I want us to see something there concerning that. Because this is the summary. Think of this verse here as the summary for chapter 3. And notice what John says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Now, I'm going to come back and revisit those words, everlasting life, in a little bit. But notice what else he says. And he that believeth on the Son 
shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He shall not see life. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that in the context of this passage, seeing the kingdom in verse 3 is the same as everlasting life or eternal life in verse 36. And consequently, when he says, shall not see life, meaning he shall not see eternal life, or he shall not see the life of the age to come, meaning he won't enter it. He will not participate in it. See it in that sense. But nonetheless, the absolute requirement that the Lord Jesus gave was, except he be born from above, he cannot. And I emphasize the word he cannot because the underlying Greek word here for this word cannot is a word that is an absolute negative. It's just pronounced ou, O-U in Greek. It's an objective negative. Meaning that there's no personal involvement, no emotion, nothing about it, affection, nothing enters in like that. This is just a statement of fact. If you don't have birth from above, you will not see the kingdom of God. Well, in response to that, Nicodemus, who he's perplexed. He says, how then can a man be born when he is old? Now notice here in the King James, it says, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now that word can is an interesting word also. You see, that's actually in a negative also. It's the word M-E with a little accent mark on it. And we would pronounce that may. May is a negative word also. And if we were to expand that, it would be like Nicodemus was saying, he cannot enter at the second time into his mother's womb and be born again. And I'm thinking here that the question mark would be better off if we left it off. It's not technically a question. He's making a statement. He cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born, so how can he be born from above? We know this. What is this? This subjective negation here, this qualification that a man can't do this. In other words, it's a negative that says the qualification of this negative is you can't enter into the womb the second time and be born again. I know that. So Jesus moves on to answer that. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now here he gives an expansion of what he said in verse 3, being born from above. And you'll notice he says, except a man in verse 3, and in verse 5 he says, except a man. He's addressing this specifically to the man Nicodemus. But he also is speaking about man as an individual. Each one of us 
except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, this is a really highly debated passage here as to what exactly is the meaning of water. Spirit doesn't seem to be such a big problem. And the reason it doesn't seem to be such a big problem is because if we look at verse 8, Jesus expands on that and tells us what being born of spirit is all about. He says, the wind blows where it listeth. That means it just blows wherever it's going to go. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. You stand outdoors on a, on a breezy day. Sometimes you feel the breeze hitting you on this side. Sometimes it's on this side. You know, we don't know where it's exactly coming from. We don't know where it's going. Matter of fact, he says you can, you can even hear the sound of it. But then, in view of that, he says, So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So it is. We don't know where God's Spirit's coming from. We don't know when it's going to come. That's why I said it's not our choice to decide on a certain day I'm going to get saved or I'm going to wait until a certain time and then I'm going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This activity of God is His choice. He determines it is His will concerning His Spirit. And it, to us, to us who experience this, it's just like the wind. Because we don't know. Now as for the water... That's a harder one to deal with. But I'm, I side, I'm going to side on the choice of, well, what I think is the strongest interpretation as well as history. And that is all, to my knowledge, all of the early church fathers acknowledged this as being water baptism. So all he's telling us then is that Except a man be born of water, that is, and it's born out of water, just as you would picture baptism to be, and it's an immersing down in water and a coming up out of water, picturing this birth that comes from above. And what we ultimately find is that in every instance where the gospel is being talked about and men are receiving the gospel and baptism is commanded or it's just you know, given to us as part of the experience of the gospel, it's always, always in connection with the preaching of the kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom of God. What do you mean exactly then by the kingdom of God? And what, is, what does Jesus mean? Here, by the kingdom of God. Well, he says to get into it, you have to be born from above, so there's a new experience of it. And by the way, turn just for a moment over to 1 Corinthians 15. We were there a few moments ago with Brother Jerry. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50.
Notice what he says there. Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now corruption there referring to the flesh, the physical body. Our physical body cannot inherit God's kingdom. Flesh and blood do not do so. That is a further understanding or explanation of why there is the necessity of being born from above. It's being born of the spirit. It is a spiritual birth, as it were. Although I don't know for sure that the Bible ever describes it as a spiritual birth, but for our understanding, we recognize that it's not something that has to do with the physical body. The physical body is doomed to corruption. That's why we embalm people. That's why we put them in a grave, put them in a closed casket. But of course, ultimately, ultimately, as we've seen in John chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says, He that believeth on him or in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. See, the words eternal life in verse 15 of John 3 and the words everlasting life in verse 16, they're the same words. They're the same words over here in, in verse 36, everlasting life. And you'll notice when he says in verse 36, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, he simply abbreviated it and cut it short. He could have just as easily said, shall not see eternal life. Now, what is this thing here then between kingdom of God, life, and eternal life, or everlasting life? Through studies we've done in the past, we know that the literal meaning of those words is, well, number one, the word eternal is the word for age. Now, you've heard the English word eon, E-O-N. Or sometimes you see it, that little closed, you know, the A-E with the O-N, so you know to pronounce it eon. It's pronounced the same way in Greek, and it means an age. And an age is a peculiar thing. Ages have beginnings, and they have endings. And so we know that he's not talking about something that is apart from time. He is talking about something here that is confined to time. An age life. Now, I'm going to back up for just a moment and just kind of abbreviate, and you'll just have to go search the rest of it out for yourself. But the point of it all is, is that the Old Testament prophets knew of the promise that God had given, of course, and they were the ones that proclaimed it, of an age to come. As a matter of fact, the rabbis themselves spoke about this age to come. And they even said, 
themselves. In the Talmud, they use the same kind of language that Jesus is using here. That one must be born from above to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just like that. And that's why Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus, you are a ruler of Israel and you don't know these things? He was supposed to be a trained rabbi, familiar with such a concept. Because there was a long-promised Messiah who was to come to Israel, who sometime off in the future, they knew not when, would come to establish a kingdom on this earth. And this kingdom would be characterized by various things. Number one among them would be righteousness. It would be a righteous rule. Another thing that would characterize it is it would be a rule of peace over the earth. And we've never seen such a thing yet. Not yet. But we hold out the hope that it's yet to come. And so all Israel and especially righteous Israel, was looking for that age to come. And the question that was on their minds was, how do I get into that kingdom? How can I be sure that when the Messiah comes, that I will be able to, to participate and be a part of that rule? Because, well, when we think about it, sometimes we think, boy, wouldn't it have been great to be back there in the Garden of Eden? Had we been there for a thousand years or two thousand years and known all the bliss and joy of what it must have been like to live in the Garden of Eden, what the earth was like then? That's what they were looking forward to in the coming rule of Christ was Edenic conditions. Conditions that would prevail over the earth that would be just like it was in the Garden of Eden prior to Adam and Eve rebelling against the Lord. And so Nicodemus was no different than these other Jews. He was looking at that life for the age to come. And so consequently, when Jesus talks to him about entering and seeing the kingdom of God. And then later on when he says, everyone who believes on him shall not perish but have life for the age to come, he was speaking of the same thing. And so it's important then to realize that in a context like this, we're not thinking about endless life that I'll just live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever because that's not what he's talking about here. The whole context of the whole chapter speaks about the kingdom of God and life for the age or what our English Bible calls eternal life or everlasting life. This is what Nicodemus was hoping for and looking for. This is what Jesus was explaining to him how you could participate in that kingdom. Born from above, Born out of water. Born from above is heavenly. Born out of water through baptism is earthly. 
One was invisible, which took place within us, this generation from above. The other is external, and it's visible, something we can see. It's one of the two visible rites that God has given to the church. Baptism, and the other is the Lord's Supper. And what I want to stress today is that this matter of baptism was set forth as an absolute requirement for entering into his kingdom. Because if you are not born out of that water, he says, and born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Or, as Matthew says it, the kingdom of the heavens. That kingdom, which is of the heavens, which earlier, and if I remember the verse here, um, and I shouldn't do things like this when I'm not planning to do it. Well, it's the one, it's the verse where Maybe I shouldn't have turned back. Let's go on. I think I'm going to come to it. Verse uh, 9. When Nicodemus answered and said unto him, then, how can these things be? This whole idea of being born a second time. He said, you're a master of Israel and you don't know about these things? So we know, we know what we have know and we know what we've seen. And you don't believe our witness. Verse 13 is what I was looking for. He says, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. I don't know if this has a reference back to Jacob's ladder or not, but it seems to me like the whole idea here is that God has made a connection to us between earth and heaven. And that connection is directly going back to birth from heaven, a birth from above, or uh, a being brought forth out of heaven, brought forth from above. And he gives us the illustration of it with the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness, telling us that even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That that everyone who believes on him should not perish. Just like those Israelites in the wilderness, when they looked upon the serpent, the brazen serpent, they would live. That was all done by faith. Because later on, under Hezekiah, you remember they began to worship that brazen serpent. And Hezekiah took the serpent and he ground it up into powder. And he said, it's Nehushtan. It's nothing but a piece of brass. That's all that meant. Just a piece of brass. So why are you worshiping this? It's as the Son of Man was lifted up. So that he that believes on him should not perish. Should not perish simply means to not experience the life 
of the age to come. That which is yet to happen. So how does all that fit together then, and what does that have to do with Resurrection Sunday? It has some, it has, and, and, and just simply this. That to the one who has experienced birth from above, and they have been baptized, born out of water, that requires immersion for that to happen. And it also necessitates the fact that birth from above comes first, so you can't baptize a baby, because baptized babies cannot be born from above first. They have no means of expressing faith. So this is the order in which he's given it. These are the ultimate, first prerequisites for being a participant in that kingdom. And what he does, he gives us the benefit and the promise of that life right now, the moment we receive Christ. That's why I've often said, participation in the coming rule of Christ when he returns, he's going to put down all the nations of the earth, subdue all of his enemies, establish his rule, and then he will sit on his throne after he's removed Satan from his throne, and he will establish his rule over the earth. Once that happens, then he will begin to set up his kingdom, and he will place people in positions of authority to assist him in that rule. Who will those people be? Well, that's just what he's been telling us right here. These who want to be those participants in that rule will start right here. This is the beginning place. And resurrection enters in because we know multitudes since the day of Christ who are not alive today. And believers are dying every day. But the hope of the believer is that he will experience that resurrection that will lead to this very life that Jesus Christ is talking about. That's why the demands of discipleship are severe and strict. And the way is so narrow. It's not a broad, easy way. Living the life of a dedicated, sold-out disciple of Jesus Christ. It's very narrow. Well, that doesn't sound like very much fun. But you see, it's not, that's not it. It's not that it's not much fun. It's what's at the end. It's what happens on the day of resurrection. It's what happens when Jesus begins to fulfill all those promises he said he would do and perform when he said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, which means enter thou into his kingdom, and the joy and the bliss that will be there on that day will far outweigh the struggles of that narrow way. You remember Jesus said, as we just finished preaching here recently, in the Sermon on the Mount, if we choose to follow the broad way, he said that's going to end up just like what he says there in verse 15. They're going to perish. The end result is destruction. The end result is ruin for that person's life. 
and no participation in that coming kingdom. So the message of Scripture is very plain and clear in my sight. That God is holding out to us, as it were, the most marvelous offer he could ever present to a man. And that is simply to fulfill what he created man for. God is, you've heard Ken mention several times about this idea of a purpose. Redeemed for a purpose. There is a goal to which we are moving as a believer. And the scripture uses several things to describe that. The saving of the soul. Entering into the joy of the Lord, as we've just mentioned. Being a part of the first resurrection. Being rewarded with positions of honor in his kingdom. Paul tells us that regarding all those things, we don't even have the words to describe what it's going to be like, how awesome that will be. Except to say that if you will live your life by faith and run your race according to the rules of the race, and you finish your race in faith, that means right up to the very day you die, you complete your race, then he is going to honor every single word he's ever given to us that we ever read in the scriptures about what heaven or the kingdom of heavens or the kingdom of God or the messianic rule of Christ or whatever other descriptive term the Bible uses to tell us about that coming day, he's going to fulfill it to the nth degree and more so. The reason I say more so is because we can't even comprehend it, what it's going to be. So all I'm urging you today then, number one, know that you've been born from above. Number two, be sure that you've followed the Lord in believer's baptism and you've taken the very first step of obedience. And the third thing then is, let's learn to grow and mature and walk with the Lord and live by faith, hoping in the promise that he's given us right up to the day we die. We may not see it fulfilled in our lifetime, although we might. The way the world's headed now, it looks like the Lord's return could be very, very, very near. We don't see this progressive bettering of, of the kingdom that some of those in the early part of the 20th century talked about. We see nothing but decline and destruction and ruin and disorder in society and everything else that goes along with it. So let's, let's keep our feet true to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we've had this joy, this privilege of meeting here today to know that your word is true, to have confidence and faith in what you've told us, and we believe it with all our hearts. How I pray, God, that you would touch each one of us for those who might be doubting or wondering, what is this all about? I pray, God, your spirit would make it clear to them and they would receive Christ. Lord, bless us, I pray. 
in our endeavors to be true and faithful to Christ. We know the scripture says we often fail, we come up short. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, through which you have made provision for us to continue in the walk, to obtain forgiveness, and to step forth each day anew with faith in Christ. And all these things we give you our thanks and our praise, Father, for it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.